Thank you, Josiah. The scripture reading for this morning is from uh, Acts. It's chapter 6, verses 3 through the end of the chapter. Uh, When you've gotten there, please stand with me as I read from Acts. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. After fixing their gaze on him, all who who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Thanks, Howard, for reading. Um, Thanks, Ron, for leading us in worship. Be Thou My Vision is one of my all-time favorite hymns. I can hardly sing. When we get to the, the phrase, High King of Heaven, I can hardly get the words out because I just think about what it's going to be like when all believers are in heaven praising the Lord. I can't hardly get the words out. I just, anyhow, hopefully in heaven I'll be singing along with you guys. But what a day that's going to be when when everyone is praising the God who is worthy to be praised. Hey, Uh, A a note uh, for those in Sunday school next Sunday, um, as Patrick's taking us through the book of Colossians, thankful for that as well, Patrick. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to be next Sunday morning in Sunday school. Colossians 2, 1 through 10. You would want to be aware of that. Um, also, I just want to say how thankful I am for the team coming. Uh, we, Cindy and Howard and I got a chance to spend a little bit of time with them on Thursday. Did a little Q&A with Howard. That was kind of fun. And I know Judy got to spend some time with them on Friday. At least the mission did. And um, it was a blessing, I'm sure, um, for them to be there and for and um, all of that. So we're just thankful for that team. Um, Acts 6, 3 through 15. Those verses Howard read for us is where we're going to be. We will be turning to James chapter 3 at some point in this message. I think there's one other place. I'm not remembering what it is. But James 3, we'll be turning there for sure. Um, Well, Lord willing. Let's open with a word of prayer. I don't think I've forgotten anything. I was going to say something else about the coronavirus, and it's this. There's nothing I can add to all the anecdotal things that people have about that. There's nothing I can say that hasn't been said. We all have uh, 
different things impacting our lives with regard to that. I would say this, that we need to be sensitive to one another and one another's needs with regard to that. Steve Folger is self-isolating today. Doctor's orders. We know that uh, his immune system is probably weakened, so we need to just be beware of that. And I know some people are really worried about that. We need to be sensitive to their concerns about that as well and just be praying for one another. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time. Thank you for each one that is here. Bless those that weren't able to make it today. Father, bless our nation as it struggles through um, some confusion here as we've already prayed, Father. And uh, just guide us along as a, a, as a congregation, a local church, Father, and other churches that have to make decisions, bigger churches that maybe can't meet, Father, help them to navigate that as well, um, Father, and um, help us to be wise in how, in how we navigate things and how we interact with one another, and help us to shine brightly for Christ right in the middle of all of this. I ask this for His glory, Father. I pray, too, that You'd bless our time in Your Word. Keep me from saying anything I shouldn't say. May You be pleased with what's proclaimed and our response to it. In Jesus' name, for His glory, Amen. The title of this message is The Witness of One. I hope I get to why I've titled it that way, and I hope you just see why. The Witness of One. The Witness of One Individual, Stephen, and he's witnessing to the One, Jesus, right? He's witnessing to the One. I wanted to start by saying this. We worship a living God. We worship a living God, and we have a living Savior. And we we have received a life-giving Spirit. We're going to look at a man who is full of the Holy Spirit, and the same Holy Spirit that he received is the same Holy Spirit that every brother and sister in Christ in this place today has indwelling them. The same Holy Spirit. And we preach a living Word. The Bible isn't just a historical document. It is a living Word. It is meant to impact our lives. It's meant to change us. It's meant to transform us. The preaching of the Word is intended to transform our lives. We're not to come to it like a a history book or a study book. We're to come to it expecting that God is going to speak to us through His Word and that through Him speaking, our lives will be transformed more into the image of His Son. That's what we're going to see in Stephen. This is a man who is so transformed into the image of our Savior. It is powerful. It is powerful. Much of what we have been looking at in the book of Acts is from, has been from the perspective of the church as a whole. Today, Luke is narrowing our focus in on the life of one member of that body, which is called the church. And make no mistake, the church is one body, but it's made up of many members. And we've been seeing the presence of God as we've been going through this book of Acts. And if you were to read it yourself, you'd see that the presence of God is evident In the early church, the presence of God is just evident in the early church. Christ is making himself known through the testimony of the church. In fact, Luke opens up the book of Acts with this. In my former treatise, or in my former work, O Theophilus, I began to tell you of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I just began to tell you. Now let me tell you about all the more that he's been doing and teaching. All the more he's been doing. And how has he been doing that? Through the church through this one body called the church. 
And then we get to Acts 1.8, and, and Jesus there says to his disciples, and Luke records it for us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then we move to the upper room, and there they are, about 120 disciples gathered there. And then from the upper room, we go to the day of Pentecost with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and thousands are added to the number, and then thousands more. And the church is just multiplying in number. And the church is of one mind and of one heart and of one soul. And there's this sweetness to it. And we just see this progress of the church that Luke has been recording for us. And all of this has been taking place in and around Jerusalem. Tightly in and around Jerusalem. All this has been taking place there, but that is about to change. And all this has been taking place with Peter and John primarily and the other apostles at the epicenter of all those events. They're at the epicenter of all those events. But now Luke is focusing his reader's attention on this man, Stephen, because the focus is going to move out of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria, right? And it is Stephen and his death that is going to be the catalyst for that expansion. It's Stephen and his death that is going to be the catalyst for that to happen. The catalyst for the expansion of the gospel. So Luke introduces us to this man, Stephen. He introduces us to the man, his ministry, if you will, and his martyrdom. I read that in a commentary this week. I thought that is good, the ministry and the martyrdom. But the man as well. I'm added in that. He introduces us to the man, then his ministry, and his martyrdom. We're not going to get to his martyrdom today other than just touch on it briefly. But I've been noting as we've been going through the book of Acts that the book of Acts is a book of firsts. And Stephen is the first Christian martyr in the church. He's the first. And there's such parallels between this man Stephen and the life of Christ. It's, it's phenomenal how many parallels there are in this that we have about Stephen. But when it comes to Stephen, the reason that is, when it comes to Stephen is this, the presence of God was something that was recognizable. Eh? The presence of God in this one individual was recognizable. And that's what I want to talk about today, the presence of Christ in the life of an individual believer. The presence of Christ in the life of an individual believer, giving the testimony to the presence of Christ with your life. Patrick and I were talking about this on Wednesday night, and he pointed out from verse 15 a question. A question came to his mind, and the question was this. If you looked at this text, you'd, you'd be asking the question, what, what do people see when people look at your life? Or if I look at Stephen's life, I might ask the question of myself, what do people see when I look at my life? Hey. So let's focus in on this, giving, the, giving testimony to the presence of Christ in our lives. Now, a martyr, we know a martyr is a witness, right? The word martyr is Greek for, for the word witness. And Stephen, not, didn't, Stephen did not become a martyr because he was killed. Stephen was killed because he was a martyr. He didn't become a martyr when he got killed. He was killed because he was a martyr, because he was a witness, and powerfully so. And even in death, he was giving testimony to the presence of Christ. What does he say? Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
even in his death, he's giving testimony to the presence of Christ. And even more powerfully so, just as he's about to die, when he says, Lord, forgive them. Lord, forgive them. We're not given much about the early life. We're not given anything about the early life of Stephen or how he came to faith. We're not given any of that. What we're given is these verses that Howard has read for us. 3 through 15 and then chapter 7 of the book of Acts. That's what we know about Stephen. And Paul mentions him later on in the book of Acts about the fact that he was there when Stephen was stoned. But what Luke records of him reflects so much of the life of Christ and giving testimony to the presence of Christ in his life. That's why I wanted to focus on giving testimony to the presence of Christ. Because Stephen's life is the testimony to a living Savior. Stephen's life is the testimony to a living Savior. That brings me to my first point. And I have a goal with this message a couple of them, and they are these. The goals would be a greater that we would have a greater desire and ability to give testimony to the presence of Christ in our lives. That would be the goal to this message. Well, those are lofty goals. I can't, I can't do that, but God's Word, God can do that through His Word, right? So my first point, there's three points to this message. In his life, Stephen gave testimony to the presence of Christ in his life. The the testimony of the presence of Christ was on his lips and the the testimony of the presence of Christ was on his face. That last verse, as Howard read, it must have stopped you because it stopped me again. And I noticed Cindy leaning in to read it as she was there with me looking at the words. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like an angel. Saw his face like the face of an angel. And here's this man that is just lighted up. Right? He's just shining brightly for Christ. And that just arrests our attention. But let's let's go back a little bit before we get to there and talk about the fact that this this was an end an end product of someone that was living a life that gave testimony to the presence of Christ. And that's the first point. His life gave testimony to the presence of Christ. Verse three, verse five, and verse eight are descriptive of that life that Stephen lived in Christ. So verse 3, there's instructions from the apostles given to the congregation in verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Now, we're not going to rehash the ground we went over last week. I want you to know that. But I do need to point out this verse because it says something about Stephen and these other men, that they were full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Those two things. Those two things. Here we have the, an example of someone who reflected the person of Christ in his life in these two ways. Actually, there's going to be four ways in the verses that we're going to look at. And the first one is, four way, I'm going to point out four ways in which Stephen's life bore witness to the presence of Christ. And the first one is, he was full of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. That's the first way in which his life reflected the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ was obvious in his life. That's what I'm trying to say. Is everyone with me? Okay. <laughs> All right. And it was obvious because of this, uh, this, this thing. He was full of the Spirit. Now, while it's true that every born-again believer has received the Holy Spirit, it's what Peter's been preaching back in Acts 
Back in Acts 2.38, he says, let me get there. Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So every believer has the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul writes in Romans 8.9, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you don't have the Spirit of Christ indwelling you, you are not of Christ. You're none of his. But if you have the Spirit of Christ, then you are his. And Scripture tells us that His Spirit testifies that our spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans eight sixteen. And Scripture tells us uh, Paul writes in, to the Ephesians in Ephesians one thirteen that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He says this in Ephesians one thirteen: When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What a promise, hey! When you believed. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What a promise. That's for every believer. Twenty centuries later, and it may be the clearest evidence for the resurrection of Christ and the fact that He's coming again, is that when I believed in Jesus, I was marked in Him with a seal, and His Spirit testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God, and His Spirit came into me in such a way I didn't even know what born again was, but it changed my life completely. The Holy Spirit came in and things in my life just started changing. His Spirit testifies with our spirit. What a promise. Twenty centuries later. And what an assurance we have in Christ. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What an assurance we have in Christ because Paul goes on to say, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Our inheritance is guaranteed. Guaranteed. We, we can't figure out what's going to happen next week. We can't figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. You guys don't know if you're going back to school in a month. Some people have concerns about their businesses. Some people have concerns about their health. Some people have concerns about what this, what that, what, what, what. I'm hoping to go back and see my grandkids. I'm not sure if I'm able to get on the plane, if the plane's going to go there. This is sure. This is sure. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, your best life isn't now. It's not your best life now. Our best life has, is yet to come. Is yet to come. Now while all that is true of every believer, and praise God that it is, the apostles make this distinction among them when they say, choose seven men who are known to be full of the Spirit. Huh. Men who are known to be or had a recognizable quality, if that's a word I can use there, of being full of the Spirit. Now, what did these men have that would distinguish them from the thousands of other believers that they might have picked from? Because all those other believers had this Holy Spirit. Or maybe more important to us today, or to you today in particular, what do they have that you don't? And in one way I could answer that, Nothing. 
Again, the same Holy Spirit in them is in every believer. So it's not a question of what they had, but it's a question of who had them. That's the question. It's not a question of what they had or didn't have or what you have and they had and you don't have. It's a question of who had them. The people they're going to pick, the men they're going to pick, are a picture of someone who is consistently controlled by the Spirit. This is the witness of Christ in the life of an individual believer to the church. The church can recognize the presence of Christ in a particular way in these seven guys. There's no mistake in it. They can recognize the presence of Christ in them. There's many ways to say it, but these men are men who are known for letting the Holy Spirit have His way. I heard Erwin Lutzer giving a message on this. I'm not going to preach that message, and it was on another text, but he talked about having the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit have His way. And I thought, he's got me right away with the thought, letting the Holy Spirit have His way, because we don't always do that, do we? Sometimes we grieve the Holy Spirit. But when we let the Holy Spirit have His way, we, we know what that's like, don't we? Man, there's nothing more exciting than that. There's nothing better than letting the Holy Spirit have His way. And these are men who are marked by a consistent quality or a, consistent, a consistency of doing that very thing. That's the difference. It is recognizable. And you've probably seen individuals like this. I, I'm thinking of one right now. I'm thinking of another. I'm thinking of another. I'm thinking of individuals whose lives are marked by that, by letting the Holy Spirit have His way. And it's a beautiful thing. And you can't get enough of being around someone like that, can you? It's the witness of Christ in the life of an individual. The testimony of Christ. The testimony of the presence of Christ in the life of an individual. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. seems that not only is this the possibility for every believer in this room, always, seems to me it's almost a command to be filled with the Spirit. This is something we're to do. So the question may be, maybe, in some ways, are we ready to let the Spirit have His way? We probably do in a lot of ways. We probably do in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm assuming that all the folks I'm looking at in here do that in some ways at least, and some in more other ways, but there's probably some areas maybe where I'm holding on to that. So the first way in which Stephen gives testimony to the presence of Christ in his life is he's full of the Holy Spirit. This, this is testimony to the presence of Christ in this man's life. And that thing, 
that he's full of the Holy Spirit is cause for the next thing. And the next thing is he's full of wisdom. Full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. The apostles tell them, men like this, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Because he was full of the Spirit, I'm speaking just of Stephen now, and stay focused on him, he was also full of wisdom. And that also gives testimony to the presence of Christ in his life. We know that wisdom is not just the knowing of facts or the accumulation of facts. We know that, just generally speaking, that's not wisdom. I could tell you how to milk a cow. I could show you videos of how to milk a cow. I could talk to you about how to pull a calf or breed a cow or feed a cow. But until you do it, I could tell you how to fill a silo. I could tell you how to change it. I could tell you how to change a tire. I could change a tire in my sleep. I have changed tires in my sleep. But until you do it, in the mud, with a tire as tall as the ceiling, that's covered in mud, and mud's, until you do it, you're not really doing it, right? Rick could tell you how to level concrete. He could tell you about how he drives that, I can't even think of the name of it, that float thing, levels the concrete. Put you on there. I, I, I'm picturing what that's going to... You're going to drive it into the concrete. Wisdom isn't just facts. It's the ability to take those facts and make practical application to do something with it. Proverbs 16.16 says, It is better to get wisdom than gold. It's the best. It's better. Pastor Robert gave a message on wisdom about a year or so ago. I thought, I wish I could have took time to listen to that. It was fantastic. It's better to get wisdom than gold. Wisdom is so good. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And he goes on to say, God doesn't show favoritism. He gives generously. That's my words. That's a paraphrase. I didn't put the whole verse down in front of me here. He doesn't give us a hard time about that. If we ask for wisdom, He wants to give it. And the Bible makes a distinction between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. So there's worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. So there's got to be some discernment there. And it's godly wisdom that Stephen has. It's godly wisdom that he is full of. This This would be wisdom from above. Godly wisdom is wisdom that sees life from God's perspective and acts in a way that pleases God. That's godly wisdom that sees life from God's perspective. There's so many uh, ways to describe that. I'm trying to think of one that would be brief, but if Rick was to tell you how to run that float machine and then he trained you how to do it and then you got really proficient at it, you might be thinking, man, I'm on top of the world in this concrete business. But you'd only have this little tiny part of that business understood. There's a whole big ball of wax out there that you haven't even begun to fathom yet.
And you'd have to see all that from a concrete guy's perspective to understand godly wisdom is wisdom that sees things from God's perspective. And that takes transformation. It takes some time. We don't get it all in one chunk. God's got some things He's got to lop off of us and work out of us and work into us. And it takes takes some time. He's got to prune us. And it's painful. Lop. Whoa, Lord, I didn't want that to go. Stephen is this man that is full of wisdom. And this, this godly wisdom he has is a testimony to the presence of Christ in his life. This, is, this kind of wisdom is not a picture of a wise old owl or a sage sitting waiting to answer questions. It's not that. James links this kind of wisdom with actions. I said we'd be turning to James. This is the time. James chapter 3. James links this kind of wisdom with actions. After I've read it, you can just stay there a minute. I'm going to touch on this a little bit here. Stephen gives testimony to the presence of God in his life, and so do these other men, through a wisdom that is seen in his behavior and his deeds. James 3.13-17 through 17. Who among you is wise in understanding? Am I wise? Have I, have I have arrived at that? You might want to ask yourself, or who among, who among us is wise in understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior. His deeds in the gentleness, in the gentleness of wisdom. Look at this verse right now, and I'm thinking some people I know that are very wise. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, It's a contrast. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. In other words, don't fool yourself if you're thinking you're wise, but this is what's in your heart. It's a heart issue. Stop. That's not wisdom from God. That's what he says next. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Wow. Demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, pure, undefiled, peaceable. We're going to see this in Stephen. I mentioned it already. He's getting stoned. Lord, forgive them. Peaceable. This is a peaceable man. Gentle reasonable. If you get yourself to a place where you're really unreasonable, stop. (laughs) That's not wisdom from God. If you get in your heart, I'm just going to be unreasonable about this. 
full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. That's wisdom from above. Wisdom isn't this picture of an owl that we have, right? The wise old owl. It's not that. It, James links it to our behavior. That doesn't mean there aren't people who have lived wisely, who have good, good information to give us and can help us along. I'm not, I'm not besmirching any of that. That's all good. But it's not just that. It's not gathering all these facts so you can be the wise owl doling out information. A God-given wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, gentle, and reasonable. And so the question comes, came to my mind, whose wisdom is on display in my life? And so I'll ask you, whose wisdom is on display in your life, because I'm talking about displaying the presence of God in our life. That's the gist of this message. So it's a valid question to ask with that framework. Whose wisdom is on display in my life? And in what areas is there a need to ask? In what areas is there a need to ask for His wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom... Ask God. Because in some ways it could be very wise, in other ways not so much. Okay, that's two, two of the ways that this man's life testifies to the presence of Christ, the presence of God in his life. The third one is he's full of faith. Verse 5. Skip in verse 4. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and those other guys who Howard reads their names better than I do, so I'm not going to read them. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit again, but he's full of faith. And it's this first thing that's the cause for the second here. He's full of faith, so because he's full of faith, he has the Holy Spirit. It's faith that brings the Holy Spirit, right? Apart from faith, we cannot please God. Because he was full of the Spirit, he was also full of wisdom, and this also gives testimony to the presence of God of Christ in his life. I already said that. Oh, I'm on the wrong spot. Let me get down to my notes here. Hebrews eleven six. I was saying the right thing without looking at my notes. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. At some point, Stephen has trusted Christ. He believed and so received the promised Holy Spirit. And now as a man who lives by faith and who walks by faith, he's just full of faith. This is a man who demonstrates trust in God, who did not waver when he faced opposition, who's standing on the promises of God and believing the Word of God, and so he's full of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. In Galatians 2.20, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the kind of faith that Stephen has. This is what makes that's what makes Luke right. This is a man that's full of faith. It's the presence of Christ in his life that is recognizable that makes Luke say, This Stephen guy was a man that was full of faith.
It was a faith in Christ. When it comes to Christianity, there is only one faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Yeah, I know you know that, but I think it's important to say it. There's only one faith. There's not 17. There's not 15,000. There's one faith. The same faith Stephen had was in the same object of faith, which is Christ. Same faith you have. With regard to the object of faith. It's faith in the person and work of Christ that Stephen had. He was full of faith. Stephen was a man who was marked by his faith in Christ. This is believing, this is someone that was believing that God is still at work. Twenty centuries later, saying, same God, same faith, same baptism, same spirit, I'm saying to you, the same God, the living God, is still at work. Stephen was believing that God is able and he's working all things out for good. He was believing those things right through to the end. Full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, that's mentioned again. The next thing that's mentioned in your translation may say in verse 8, and Stephen full of grace and power, it's actually faith mentioned a second time. It's the same word. Some translate that grace, but the word in verse 3, faith, pistis, is the same word used in verse 8. But here, his fullness of faith is linked to this thing, being full of power. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. I think of our Lord's, when I come to this, I think of our Lord's words concerning faith. Oh, you of little faith after the, after the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Or in Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. They, they, they were not understanding why they didn't have power to cast out this demon. And Jesus says to them, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Stephen was a man full of faith and so full of power. It may be understandable why some might want to change this word from faith to grace. I get that, but I think it's unnecessary. Because you might get the idea he was full of faith, so if I have enough faith, I can do the same things that Stephen is doing. The same power he had, I can have. And Because the power there in verse 8 is, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. I don't think you need to change that word to grace. I think he was full of faith because he was full of faith. He was also full of power. And it was a power that God gave him for, for a specific ministry. We talked about ministry in Sunday school this morning. The apostles asked for seven men from the congregation, and this man, Stephen, is full of faith. You know, in the book of Acts, I know you do, there's a, they asked for seven men here. In the book, I've got to stop looking at these notes. In the book of Acts, there's seven more men. Later on in chapter 19, there's these seven sons of Sceva, And these seven men, not full of the Holy Spirit, not full of faith, not full of wisdom, 
They want the power that Paul has. They see Paul casting out demons and doing these wonderful signs, and they say, wow, we want in on that. That looks exciting. That looks fun. What happens to those guys? They encounter a demon, and they're saying, I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon says, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? What happens to those guys? That demon whoops them so bad they have to flee the house they're in without their clothes on. He gives them a pummeling. He beats up on those guys. My point there is, I don't think there's a need to change this. I can kind of see why someone might come to verse 8 and say, and Stephen, full of faith and power. Wait a second, we can't have people going out there saying they got faith and they start doing this stuff. Pretending they can do this stuff. I don't think you need to change it. I, I think the word is faith. It's the same word. And in Acts 19, we got these seven guys there and they were playing around at spiritual things. That's my point. Don't play around with spiritual things. Don't play games. Don't pretend. There's a lot of that. There's no need to do that. It isn't right. We saw Ananias and Sapphira do that. Playing around. Playing games. Stephen's not playing a game here. God had given him a ministry of signs and wonders. Let me get it right here performing great wonders and signs among the people. God gave him that. And he was doing it. And it was obvious to everyone. No need to play make-believe. Again, the lesson is don't pretend when it comes to the spiritual. And this Stephen is a man, this isn't original with me, I heard a few guys, read a few guys saying the same thing. Stephen, this Stephen is a man that serves as a bridge between the prominence of the ministry of Peter and the prominence of the ministry of Paul. He's a transitionary figure here. And he ushers in the witness of Christ from Jerusalem onto Judea and Samaria. That's my words. And, and God blessed his ministry with signs and wonders to confirm his testimony of Christ. That's why he's full of power. Talking about today, what are we talking about? Giving testimony to the presence of Christ in our life. The fifth way that uh, Stephen did this is that he was full of power. And so God used him to confirm the message of the gospel through signs and wonders. And this, in a very unique way, served as a testimony to the presence of God in his life. But I want to say every born-again believer is a new creation in Christ created unto good works which God prepared in advance that you'd walk in them. This was Stephen's ministry. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. We each have our ministry as well. God's prepared these things in advance for us to do that we would walk in them. He's given us the power to do them. Okay, second point. Given the testimony of the presence of Christ, Stephen had the word of Christ on his lips. On his lips. Verses 9 through 14. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some men from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. 
verse 10, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They were unable to cope. It's the testimony of Christ that is on Stephen's lips, which gave testimony to the presence of Christ in his heart. Scripture tells us, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Stephen's heart was filled up with the word of Christ. Stephen's heart was filled up with the love of Christ and with the forgiveness that he had received in Christ. And it is obvious. That's what Stephen's heart is filled up with. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when Stephen speaks, what comes out? Jesus. His life is a testimony to the presence of Christ in his life. But opposition arose. Opposition arose, however, and Stephen is confronted by these guys. I already read who they were there. He's confronted with the theologians of his day. These are men that want to argue with Stephen, and they're not going to be content with arguing because they can't cope with Stephen's ability to just destroy their arguments. So the arguing is going to turn into accusations and then to arrest, and then Stephen's going to lose his life. That describes their activities, arguing, accusations, arresting people. If I used a word to describe uh, Stephen's activity as a witness, it would be this one word, he just spoke with authority. He spoke with authority. When speaking of Jesus, he spoke with authority. Just like when people came up against Jesus and they were unable to cope with his wisdom and his understanding and he taught not like the teachers of the law. They can't resist Stephen either. He spoke with the authority of the Holy Spirit about the things of God. What comes out of the mouth of Stephen is not his opinions, but he testifies to Christ. What we're going to see is he doesn't preach himself, but he preaches Jesus Christ as, Lord, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I do believe he makes a defense of these accusations. He takes the very accusations they're giving him. We'll see that maybe next week or the week after. He takes those very accusations and says, you're saying that of me? That's you guys. You reject Moses. You read these next verses. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put, him, they put forward false witnesses who said, This man insist, incessantly rather speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and altar and customs which Moses handed down to us. Stephen's life was a testimony to the correct, a testimony to the presence of Christ in him to the extent that these guys are wigged out. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus, whom they know was crucified, And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. To the last point, 
He gave testimony to the presence of Christ in his life, and it was visible on his face. I don't, I don't think he don't have a mirror. He can't see his face, but everyone else can see it, right? Everyone else can see it. They're giving him a hard time about Moses. There's this guy standing there glowing like Moses was glowing. What are they going to do with that? What's shining on the face of Stephen? What is that? You know the answer. What's shining on the face of Stephen is what's flowing out of his heart. The hope of glory, Christ in you. I'll close with this one verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The title of this message is The Witness of One. Here's this one man, Stephen, a powerful witness of the one and only Jesus Christ. To the extent that his very life gave testimony to the presence of Christ. His very life did. We have the same Holy Spirit. We can do the same. And many of many of us do. Many of you do on a very consistent basis, but I'm confident that all of us can grow. Confident of that. Let me close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for this man, Stephen. Father, I ask that you would bless um what was preached. Bless your word to our hearts. Help us to um, help us today and this week look more like Jesus. And if the Spirit has to have His way in some way that He hasn't been having His way yet, would you reveal that to us? Lord, thank you that you don't leave us where we're at and you continue to transform us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.